Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Hey, it's NFL Free Agency Week, and on the line with me are the hosts of Tackling the Texans, the podcast, Max Friedman and Eli Blackowitz. We're just going to do sort of a cross pod, so I think people are going to be listening to us on either one of the podcasts. Great to have both of you guys doing this with me, and before I ask you about all the happenings in free agency so far, tell me a little bit about your background, why you started Tackling the Texans, and Max, if you want to start things off. Yeah, so... Me and Eli were from Canada, which is a little out of the way for Houston sports. And it just so happens we're just about the only two Texans fans in all of Canada (laughs) around where we live. So in terms of Texans news, I started writing for a bunch of sites last summer. And since then, I've grown into more of a draft analyst type of view. I've been managing editor for a few sites and I'm draft analyst for a few sites and I looked into starting up a podcast for this network and I called up Eli, my only other Texans friend. And I'm like, Hey buddy, I have a great idea. Let's get it rolling. And since then it's been a lot of fun and we're looking to hopefully gain a bunch of viewers and being on this podcast is definitely a big help and we hope everybody loves it. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the same thing. Really. I've been a Texans fan here probably now for about 11 years and it's been diehard the whole time. Um, when we saw the opportunity to build on, um, you know, I've written as well for sites like Texans Journal. I just think this has really provided us an opportunity to try and connect Texans fans from all over, whether they are from Houston or, you know, we've discovered there's there really are Texans fans everywhere. And it's been wonderful experiencing that and just starting to trek into the kind of realm of discussing the Texans, getting feedback from fans. It's its just really exciting time. We're recording late Wednesdays. So far, the Texans have made a few moves. We know that Tyron Matthew and Kareem Jackson are out. Cornerback Bradley Roby and safety to Sean Gibson are in. So let me ask you, Eli, are the Texans better, worse, or the same after these early moves? Oh, see, that is a little bit of a double-ended question because – I'd probably say that they're somewhere around the same if you look at it talent-wise. But when you look at the value that they got out of those two picks, I think that they absolutely came out on the better end. Starting off with the Tashawn Gibson ad, to me, not even a question. When you look at how Tyron played in the system last year, he really played where he wanted to play. It wasn't necessarily where he was able to be most effective. And I think that's really going to dictate how he plays for the rest of his career because he did really sincerely enjoy his time playing in Houston last year. And I think on the other end of that, honestly, I am a lot happier about the Roby signing in itself. Not that I'm not happy about the Tashawn Gibson signing. It's just a great value signing. Um, Roby, though, I think offers a huge amount of upside where, like me and Max have talked about in the past, we believe that uh, Jonathan Joseph and that secondary really just needs someone dynamic that can keep up with some big playmakers on other teams. And I think Roby has the potential to do so. So I think overall, I'm not sure if the team is necessarily better right now than before those moves. But I'd say as a Texans fan, I'm very happy with the moves so far. Yeah, it's not likely, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, not likely that uh, Kareem Jackson and Tyron Matthew were going to be on the field at all times if you had signed both of them. And if you let one of them go, you know, they're on the field with Justin Reed. Justin Reed is the starting safety, I think, from this point on. So when you look at, you know, the fact that they're not going to have both, they wouldn't have had both of those guys on the field, but you added a cornerback that can now help you. I think that's a big deal because, you know, if Bradley Roby is just giving you some decent play, it's better than a lot of the cornerback play that you were getting last year. Uh, Roby, he's been sort of off and on. It's like one year he's looked good. Another year he's looked bad. You know, this is the year that he's supposed to look good because it's been about every other year. But the other thing about Gibson that I think might go unnoticed is, you know, Tyron Matthew, Kareem Jackson, they weren't going to be able to guard tight ends ever. I mean, they, they didn't do a particularly good job at that. Gibson can give you that. He's got a little bit more size and he, he's, he can do it way better than I think what you were getting from Matthew and Jackson. And the tight end has always been an issue for the Texans. They've never had somebody I thought that could really guard a tight end uh, in the middle of the field, the way you would need him to do it. I mean, do you guys feel the same way? 
Yeah, for sure. There was a whole thread the other day that was going viral, at least on a Texans Twitter timeline about uh, Gibson playing against the Pats and doing a really good job against Gronk. And as a team that finishes first in the AFC South quite a bit and virtually as the Pats every year, playing against Gronk has been a nightmare year after year. He's just like an impossible player to cover. And having the size in another safety is is it's going to be huge for the Texans to have another lockdown piece on a on a big tight end. And I think it can't be understated the fact that Andre Howe is still there. I mean, people have forgotten about him a little bit because obviously he had an unfortunate setback. Thankfully, he's all good now. But even when you look at his stats, just lining up at free safety last year, 179 snaps, one target three interceptions, a 0.0 passer rating allowed. Uh, it's honestly just incredible. And I think that people sometimes forget when they're maybe getting a little bit upset over letting go of Tyron or Kareem, how deep we really are at safety, especially after a signing like Deshaun. Yeah, Kareem Jackson also, let's remember, he's getting older. He's going to get hurt. I think his style of play does not translate to two and three years down the road. So I think that's a big part of it. When you look at the money, Matthew's getting three years, $42 million. His contract, hard to judge because we don't know how much of it is guaranteed at this point, unless you guys have heard something different than I've heard. And then Kareem Jackson's getting three years, $33 million, but 23 is guaranteed. That's a huge chunk uh, of money to be guaranteed for somebody like Kareem Jackson. So, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but the contracts that these two guys got – I don't know if they were the best contracts. I think Matthews was maybe a little bit better because he is younger. But, you know, are, are the, would those have been smart moves if the Texans had paid that much money? I think that's what a lot of people might be wondering. Matthew would have been more justified for sure. Kareem Jackson's a box safety, goes into the gaps head first, making tough tackles on big running backs, going up against O-linemen, giving a lot of guaranteed money to a player like that who's on the wrong end of 30. It's it's really tough to justify. Look, we obviously have the money to spend, and a lot of fans are getting upset over the fact that we're sitting pretty, like we're sitting pretty with our money. We're not exactly going out and dropping massive contracts on all of these top players, but we need to look down the road. And I think we got better value out of Gibson than we did for either of the two safeties we would have brought back in Kareem Jackson or Tyron Matthew. So I definitely have no complaints. I would I would have been. I wouldn't have been upset giving a contract like that to Tyron Matthew, but at the end of the day, we got a very good playmaker, somebody who fits what we need in the secondary for very good value, and we're going to have the up-and-coming of Reed, and we're still going to have Hal there for depth. So I, I think we're in pretty good shape still. The stat that I thought was real interesting was that if you looked at the career passer rating allowed, uh, Matthew and Jackson, their combination gave up 94.6. Of course, you know, this is c- combining, you know, a lot of different factors in that. But uh, that's interesting because Gibson and Roby have combined for 87.2 ratings. So they're better overall. But again, you know, you're talking about who they played with, how they did early in their career compared to where they are right now. But it- it's interesting and-, and it feels a little bit of a wash, even though for Texans fans, you go, oh, well, you lose Matthew. Uh, you know, he's got this name recognition, I think. Uh, and then Kareem Jackson, everybody knows what he brings. And I, I think it, part of it, guys, was just everybody was so impressed with Kareem Jackson and what he was able to do when he actually did play at safety. And that, that's what he is right now. And the Texans kept uh, it, it kept like every year he ended up back a cornerback and, and it just was not good by the end of his career here in, in Houston. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. I think Texans fans just want to see what Kareem Jackson could do if you played him a whole year because he was outstanding when he played at safety this past year. He was outstanding, but it's it's understandable, of course, that he ended up at cornerback at a point we had Sharice Wright, like, standing back there. And at a point, it just looked like he completely forgot how to play football. And that, that's the thing is a lot of factors playing uh, playing into the combined passer rating of Matthew and uh, Jackson because they both definitely played a little more cornerback than they'd like. I know Matthew played a lot of slot cornerback for the Texans as well, but look, I, I said to Eli, I would have loved to at least give an offer to Kareem Jackson. I didn't like that we didn't meet with his reps and we didn't even even get the opportunity to talk contract with him. And I do think Denver is getting a very good player. And 
I'm sure they know how they're going to use him. The fans still think he's a cornerback and <laughs> they, they think he's going to be playing outside cornerback and that he's going to be locking down receivers because when they look his PFF grade graded him out as a top five cornerback because the first nine weeks of the season were in- incredible at safety. But look, I do think he's a very good player, but the trade-off of Jackson and Matthew, we obviously got, whereas we played Matthew and Jackson a lot at cornerback, we picked up a true cornerback who hopefully should be better. And as of now, we're getting probably a third round in comp pick for Matthew. So I, I like where we're at. Uh, I think everybody keeps talking about the cornerbacks and they keep talking about the secondary and the, of course, the offensive linemen, because that's always been an issue, but in free agency, I I just, I'm not surprised that they haven't gone after offensive linemen. I didn't think they were going to go after offensive linemen. I actually think they were pretty happy with Zach Fulton's play. Uh, Nick Martin, you know, they're still trying to give him some, room to grow and some more time at center. He was okay. He wasn't good. He wasn't maybe terrible, but he was okay. The left guard, it's very possible that Calamete could be the guy, but you know, I think they're now seeing the light and knowing that Martinez Rankin is the guy. And I think if they were to do it all over again, they would have started him at guard because that, that was uh, where he should have been. Where do you guys think that uh, Martinez Rankin should be, and and what do you do about the offensive line? What would you have done going into the offensive offseason if you were the Texans for the offensive line? Look, I mentioned earlier I do a lot with draft with draft rankings, and I had I had Rankin as a really highly rated interior lineman. He's versatile, of course, and we saw it, but we also saw him struggle immensely at tackle. And and the fact of the matter is he is a guard. They thought, or they said maybe they'd give him some play at center this year in training camp. We'll see what ends up happening with him, but it looks like they see the future with him and he's likely going to start at guard. And I actually don't mind what we have on the interior, but in terms of Davenport and Henderson, we definitely have upgrades to make, but I don't think maybe targeting a, like a flexible versatile offensive lineman wouldn't hurt in free agency, but it's a very deep tackle class. And I think we're basically a lock to take one at 23. And I'm sure basically anybody would start at left tackle over Davenport at this point. So (laughs) I don't know if we're a lock. I might disagree with you right there because I I think they're a lock to take a tackle. I I think this is a deep draft at, at offensive line and at tackle specifically from everything that you hear. They have two second round picks. Personally, I think it's way more important that if you can get a first-rate starting cornerback, this is way more important of a need for you with just Jonathan Joseph and Bradley Roby. Even if you add somebody else, I I just don't think it's going to be a top-end guy, a starter. We're not hearing even whispers about that, and maybe that's going to change again recording this on Wednesday night. But if I were the Texans, I would draft the corner in the first round and I would also draft the corner in the second round because you just can't have too many cornerbacks. And the other pick in the second round, I would take a tackle. I, I don't know if you disagree with that, but you know, to me, those are your two big need positions and you can't have enough cornerbacks. And J. Joe at some point is not going to be able to do it anymore. And he's getting older and he's getting more banged up. And Bradley Roby, if that's all you've done in the offseason at quarterback on free and free agency, then I, you know, to me, I, I would abs- absolutely go with cornerback with the first first round pick and, and you need to hit it. You got to get a starter with that guy. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can be another Kevin Johnson. That is for sure. But I uh, on that note, we have actually discussed quite a bit in the past that exact situation where looking at our biggest needs, obviously at the O-line and in the secondary, where do we look to the draft and where do we look to the free agency? Now, before these crazy contracts even started really coming with all the big players as the free agency gates fluttered open, we already kind of identified that this was going to be a year where it was never going to be worth it to pay one of those high, high end secondaries. The contracts are absolutely exponential this year and, and, and it's been evidenced as we've seen. So I've said it before, and I I completely agree with what you asserted, that it probably is going to be in the first and second round where we need to hit on a cornerback. I'm not so sure that it's going to be two out of the three of those picks, only because 
I believe that the Texans' recent faith that they've shown in their offensive line has really been a lot of smoke screens because I didn't see a lot of that confidence during the season. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just feel like uh, the Texans with the the tackle position. If you draft two two tackles, are you just saying I we give up on Davenport? Even if you draft one tackle, because he's not a swing tackle. And if they draft a guy that's a left tackle, you know I've said it. I've said this on on our show, and I really believe this. If you draft a left tackle, you're basically saying we give up on Julian Davenport. And Davenport really has only gotten one full season. Of, of chance at a tackle and you know Dwayne Brown didn't start off well there's guys all over the NFL that their first season at tackle as a starter it's not good and so Davenport it's not like he doesn't have the size I, I don't think it's a physical thing with him you know I just think it's he's gonna have to get a little bit better at technique and you know maybe his footwork's got a little bit all that stuff that you got to do at tackle he's got to get better at so, you know, I think they're going to draft somebody that's a swing tackle, and that might be the only guy that they draft. Maybe they draft a guard in, in a later round, but there, there's other needs. I, I still feel like they've got to fill. I, I, you know, they still, in my mind, they still need to go get a tight end that can do everything. It would be a three-down tight end would be great. They're showing a lot of, a lot of confidence in Jordan Akins and Jordan Thomas. To me, it's too much confidence. What did you guys see from those guys last year? Because my concern is, they can't block, and you need somebody that can help Deshaun Watson and help this offensive line. I was actually under the impression at the beginning of the year that Jordan Thomas may have been able to step in and be our, our pass blocker, basically act as a sixth O-lineman while Aikens was. And and this isn't even an exaggeration or a figure of speech. He was, he was quite literally a receiver in college. But look, obviously Aiken was was basically a receiver again last year, and Thomas ended up being quite a good pass catcher and didn't do very much in the blocking game. And we definitely need somebody. It's, it just limits what we can do offensively because it makes it too predictable. When you have Aikens and Thomas on, you know, it's likely going to be a, a play action rollout, going to hit one of the two of them, probably read through Hopkins, see what you can do there. But it just makes our offense too predictable having um, Aikens and Thomas as, as basically large receivers. So it's definitely still a need for us, but I don't think I could see us taking one in in the first two rounds, probably not even in the third round, and we don't have a fourth. So, look, it's tough because we have bigger needs. We spoke about cornerback. We spoke about tackle. And the Texans have, have very strongly um, mentioned the interior defensive line pressure. So that could be something we look for in the third round. And I do think we need a tight end. But I think... In, in terms of what we have on offense, they're pretty satisfied with with what they have in terms of weapons. So I think if we're looking for one, it could be a, a later round, hoping to maybe hit on one in the fifth or the sixth. You know, you look at their blocking, it's not good. I don't really know if there's potential with Jordan Akins because he, he wasn't a guy that is going to come in with size. I don't think they were expecting that from him at all. Jordan Thomas... His pass blocking pro football focus grade, 56. His run blocking pro football focus grade, 35.5. And I get it. He's a rookie. But, I mean, he's a massive human being. You would imagine just if he could just stay in front of somebody, that's all he <laughs> would need to do. He's a huge guy. Oh, yeah. He's one of the biggest that I've seen. Look, it's true. We didn't see it from them. And there needs to be upgrades made at tight end. But I do think that maybe, like, we've seen a lack of aggression from uh, from Gain. So, it's entirely possible we go into next next season with the same tight end room we had this year. And I wouldn't exactly be ecstatic about it, but I understand where they're coming from to maybe hopefully see some some progression from Jordan Thomas. But Aikens as a former receiver, and he came in, I believe, at 26 years old because he tested the waters in uh, uh, pro baseball before the NFL. So his his potential, especially as a blocker, is probably pretty limited. But I could see them possibly giving a chance to Thomas and maybe having an off-season competition between Thomas and another another late-round pick to maybe dominate the snap count next season. What do you guys think about uh, some of the other moves around the NFL? Anything that catch your eye? I mean, the Texans are going to be affected by quite a bit of the moves that you when you start looking around at what some of the other teams are doing because so, so many of these guys are going to be on the Texans' schedule next year. Uh, all the way through, uh, of course, Nick Foles. That's the obvious one, but he's not the only one. You know, you're going to see him a couple of times, but 
You're going to see Earl Thomas with the Ravens, Antonio Brown with the Raiders. We're going to see Ty Matthew and Kareem Jackson with the Chiefs and the Broncos. And the Browns luckily aren't on the schedule because they look really dangerous now with Beckham. I mean, if Kareem Hunt uh, gets a short suspension and he's back in the fold with Baker Mayfield and all those guys. But a lot of interesting moves all the way throughout the the league. Maybe I'll start with uh, one that's a little more pertinent to Texans fans, the Nick Foles signing. Now, that's something that a lot of people were expecting. Um, I don't think so many people were expecting such a weak market for Foles around the NFL, but the Jags do seem like the right fit. That being said, I can give Texans fans peace of mind that this Jacksonville attempt at a dynasty, in my opinion, is over. When you look at their cap situation now and the players that they have going out the door, it is absolutely beyond repair and getting in Nick Foles at his age to start playing in a new system with a team that hasn't had success through the air. I just don't think it's going to be effectual in any way. I think it's more money down the drain. And and again, just to reiterate, I think that it, it probably signals that this is the Jaguars end of their potential spell of dominance. The one thing I will say, though, is Nick Foles is light years better than Blake Bortles. And if you give this team a competent quarterback, they do have talent still on defense. We can't ignore that. <laughs> the thing that worries me about Foles is that he, he brought an energy to the Eagles. And you bring an energy and you bring a calmness in the locker room for the Jags that we saw just like an explosion of egos in the locker room last year. So there's definitely like a leadership aspect to Foles. And he's definitely light years ahead of Bortles, but it is a lot of money for somebody I don't know I would consider that much better than average. And it's a lot of guaranteed money, and they're definitely going to have a lot of moving parts. But uh, like as, as you mentioned, the, the talent on defense is still there. And I think maybe, well, not maybe, they definitely need to pick up a playmaker to work with Foles at receiver. With what money? That's a good point. But <laughs> look, through the draft, they don't have the money in free agency to do pretty much anything else. But I could see them being at least more consistent with what they have. They might not be that. I don't remember if they finished 11 and 5 or 12 and 4, but I, I definitely see less 4 and 12 seasons in their future. <laughs> okay, I'll concede. What else have you guys been talking about? What, what do you find interesting about what the Texans are going to do this offseason and kind of where they're at right now? I, I was talking to Eli before, and I think a lot of fans were under the impression that they were going to be like ridiculously aggressive. And just be, because we had money that we were going to go out and give a bunch of guaranteed money to decent players. But we saw how that backfired with the Jags two years ago. They're here now and they're cutting a bunch of players and releasing a bunch of players because they don't have the cap space to make more moves. I like what we did with Bradley Roby for sure. I like what we did with Gibson. And me and Eli have spoken about it. The one player I would really love to see with the Texans is Darquez Denard because he is a very good slot corner and he doesn't, he can't play the outside. We know that, but at least we know what we have in a very good slot corner, which is what we wanted with Colvin last year. But he wasn't the right guy. And I think Denard, we might be able to get on, on a cheaper contract, probably a multi-year contract. So that's one player I would definitely love to see. We're meeting with Jason Verrett. For anybody who thinks Kevin Johnson is injury prone, Verrett has played five games in the past three years, which is a huge issue. <laughs> but he's incredibly talented, and if he could be on the field, he's far and away the best cornerback we've seen in a Texans jersey for, for a long time now. So, look, there's, there's moves that still need to be made, but I think we're done with the big moves in the Texans' offseason, and... I'm happy with where we are, but we need a good draft because we saw teams like like Cleveland probably jump us in terms of a paper roster this offseason. And it's just about we still have more years with Watson on a rookie contract and cap money to spend, but it's just about spending it wisely and building up for that hopefully Super Bowl run before we really need to shell out some money to Watson. Yeah, Verrett's kind of the alternate universe, Kevin Johnson. He's a former first-round pick. He was considered the third best cornerback in the 2014 draft, played 25 games total. You talk about what he's played the last three years, but just in, over the course of his career, just 25 games in four years. And knee surgery in 2017, I 
think. And then there's a torn Achilles last year, but it was, it was early last year. So, you know, if you're thinking in terms of Deontay Foreman, his was in November. This is a couple months earlier. So you would assume he might be ready by the time the season starts, but if they're going to get Verrett, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming again, this is, we're doing this Wednesday night. So people might already know uh, the, the final answer to this, but if they were to get him, you know, you would hope it would be at a very, very low contract that's has little guarantees in it at all. Basically, that that's exactly what they'd be looking for. We don't want to shell out a bunch of guaranteed money to somebody like Verrett because he's obviously like injured all the time. But if we're going to sign him to a big money contract with very little in guarantees, it's something I would be very interested in because, as I said, he would be far and away the best cornerback on our roster and that's the type of player that could set us to a new height and it could really shore up a lot of what we have in the secondary because you're looking at J. Joe Colvin and Roby compared to Verrett, J. Joe and Colvin with with somebody like well actually we don't have Sharice Wright anymore. But I guess <laughs> Batamosi would be our our fourth guy who plays a lot of special teams. But the cornerback room would be would be massively improved pretty much instantly. What about some of the other moves that they've made so far in the offseason? What did you guys think of that? Uh, they, they actually have an offensive coordinator again. But uh, to me, the bigger move was the guy that they got as the quarterback coach because that was somebody that I think could really help them be, because he did do a lot with Russell Wilson over the last few years. And, you know, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, very similar. Robert, I could not agree more, and I've echoed that exact same thing in the past, saying that, yes, I was obviously happy. An offensive coordinator was hired. To be fair, though, it had to happen, and if if we dig into it, which we don't have to do now, I think it was still a little bit of a cop-out to hire Tim Kelly for that position, but that was completely saved by that hiring of Carl Smith. I was beyond excited about it, and I've kept becoming even more excited because even past what he was able to do in those six years with Russell Wilson helped mold him into that Super Bowl-winning quarterback. When you listen to the comments that players made about Carl Smith during his now 30-year tenure in the NFL, the, the comments are so heartwarming and so positive that it really gives me a lot of hope going into next season that we could see the development from Deshaun that, you know, we weren't able to see last year for a lot of reasons that were outside his control. But it's going to be extremely beneficial to have his first full offseason in the NFL attempting to improve, be with a complete seasoned veteran who knows how to handle a quarterback of his stature. What about Whitney Merciless? Tell me what you guys would do because I'm at the point where I don't think he can flourish in this system with J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney on the field at the same time. Uh, I've said it on my past podcast, Locked On Texans, about four or five times until I'm blue in the face. But I don't know what they're going to do because you would think if they're going to do something with them, it would be before the draft. Now it could happen because uh, usually that type of move is made after free agency once teams know what they have. But do you want Whitney Merciless back in a Texans uniform this year? I personally do not, and I love I love him as a person and for what he's given to the Texans, but his role just isn't there anymore because we've we've completely emphasized interior defensive pressure and we're probably going to shift to more of a 4-3 hybrid rather than a straight 3-4 base defense. The problem is he he rushes the passer the same way Clowney does and Clowney plays defensive end outside linebacker, but the role for Whitney Merciless as a pass rusher just isn't there anymore. And we need someone, especially if we're going to shift into possibly a four, three, we need another cover guy at linebacker merciless for, for what he's done. He's been great, but with where the team is going, I, I personally don't see him having really a future here. And I've, I've done a couple of mock draft things with basically a community. Everybody takes one team and you're the GM of the team for the draft. And the first move I made was flipping Merciless to the LA Rams, who really needed a linebacker for a third round pick. Oh, I'd love if you could get a third round pick. I would take a fourth round pick. I just think, you know, if you could get something in those middle rounds for him, a third or fourth, get that fourth back that you gave up to, to get Demarius Thomas, that, that would be huge. And, you know, he's not somebody 
that another team would look at and go, oh, the price isn't right. You know, we don't want to pay that much for somebody because he's really cheap. I mean, his base salary next year is $5.75 million. The Texans, the cap hit for them is $7.3 million because uh, there, there was the signing bonus that uh, prorated to this year. It's like a million, I think, and there's a roster bonus that's a half million. But really, it's it's real cheap for somebody else. So it would make a lot of sense. And I just never understood what the Texans were doing with him because they, they dropped him into coverage way too much. And if you're going to have Whitney Merciless on your roster, dropping him into coverage where he's terrible is not what they need to do. And especially with the team that, guess what? They've got all sorts of issues in coverage as it is with cornerbacks. So, yeah, that's, that's to me the reason that I would get rid of him because if, you, if you're not using them right, then there's no point in having them around. And if you look at that moving away from a pass rusher into another true linebacker to bring on, there's definitely still a few linebackers on the market. I know for one, and it might be a little too too much of a splash for what the Texans have shown they're interested in doing, but I know KJ Wright is still available. He plays maybe like a, a saturated version of Merciless's game where he's very effective around the line of scrimmage. He's a big hitter guy, but he's definitely better in coverage. He drops back and reads plays a little more naturally than Merciless does. And I think he might not be the the long-term plan, but he's definitely a good bridge player as we move into more of a 4-3-3-4 hybrid. What's the position that you think the Texans need that has not been talked about a ton, that maybe they could really do a major upgrade there or do somewhat of an upgrade? Um, is there anything that you guys have thought about that you put in that category? It's not like it's completely untalked about, and it kind of pains me to say it, but I mean, the wide receiver position is somewhere where I think we need a look just from a longevity standpoint. The Texans can't have themselves be put in a position as they were last year, where it ends up being DeAndre Hopkins by himself for a number of a number of games to end the season, and he ends up hobbling through your one playoff game while you get tormented. To ensure that that doesn't happen again, I think that we need to finally come to terms with, uh, for, for the moment, that Will Fuller is beyond injury prone and we can't expect a full season out of him. And likewise, other than that, we have rookies who I'm extremely happy about lately and Kuti was an extremely bright spot. But again, with the injuries that have happened across the board there, I think that it's essential that we get extra pieces for Deshaun. The same way that we knew that we had to go and get Demarius, I think a move has to be made. It's one of the most explosive wide receiving cores in the NFL. If they're healthy, it's just they're never healthy. And that's that's the real issue. And, and you mentioned something that I, I think is real interesting. And just as you were talking, I was, you know, it's something I've, maybe thought about my head, but haven't really discussed a whole lot, but DeAndre Hopkins plays every single down. They can't get JJ Watt off the field a ton. They, they've got him off the field a little bit more this year than in the past. But is that an issue with the Texans where they just need to take guys out and rest them a little bit more? So they're fresher later in games and later in seasons. I mean, they, the Texans, I feel like they've got guys that you know, they've got that work ethic. I know they want to be in there, but at some point you might have to lay down the law with, with a Watt or a Clowney or a Hopkins where it seems like they're right at the top of the NFL. You mentioned Ty Matthew too. All these guys, they, they just wouldn't get them off the field even for a little bit. You, you've got to have the confidence to uh, take them off for a couple of plays because maybe they're fresher later in games and later in the season. Absolutely. It's, it's something I haven't really considered but you see a few years ago, we had an absolutely dismantled team. And that's when we ended up finishing with one of the worst records in the league. But even we saw last year, like a Hopkins doesn't come off the field. And it was even more difficult last year without Fuller and without uh, QT to get him off the field because we would have been running with the core of pretty much Aikens playing receiver with Carter in the slot and Vincent Smith on the outside with maybe Demarius Thomas for the few games we had him before he got hurt. But rolling with somebody like Hopkins for as many plays as he does. And it, it definitely has an impact on his reliability because he doesn't drop passes. He's always working incredibly hard. He doesn't take plays off, but we did see in the playoffs 
where he was dealing with it with an injured shoulder i believe i don't know exactly what the diagnosis was as, as well as the ankle that was uh still still from the weeks before but but those are things that you wouldn't necessarily miss weeks for but they're they're tweaks that could definitely be they could be prevented if you get him off the field for even 15 percent of the snaps throughout the season because he, he literally doesn't come off the field no he played he played a historic amount of snaps and i think that it definitely has become somewhat of an issue with DeAndre I'm not so sure because I get the feeling that it would be hard to pull him off the field at any time when he's playing like this with Deshaun but on the other side of that a hundred percent it's it's been a recurring issue with JJ that he's on the field too much and I agree that they calmed down this year but I mean we need to look at the context he got played an absurd amount for someone his age who's coming back after basically two years of not playing NFL football he was played an absolutely crazy amount when you consider that. Yeah, and the, the only thing that we could do to really fix that problem with J.J. Watt is we need some depth on defense. Obviously, the Stars win you games. The Stars can get you to the playoffs, but having depth to be able to take out Watt and know that you're not going to have Christian Covington, who had two and a half sacks, and D.J. Reader, who had three sacks, rushing the quarterback, like there's just no pressure on the quarterback when, when Watt comes out of the game. Getting some depth on that defense is probably the first step of dealing with a problem like that. One position that uh, you don't hear the Texans to be too concerned about at this point is backup quarterback. I don't think the fans are real confident in the guy that they've got at the helm, Brandon Whedon. Ryan Fitzpatrick, is he re-signed with the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers? I mean, where is he? Because that would be the obvious guy because you know OB liked him. They just signed a backup. I don't know who it was, but it wasn't Fitz. So I'm I'm almost 100% sure he's available. But you know the fans don't have a lot of faith in our backup right now when Tyrod Taylor got signed today and there were a bunch of Texans fans in the comment getting all heated over the fact that Tyrod chose the Chargers. And, and sure, he'd be a good fit, but look, at the end of the day, we do need a backup, but it's someone who's got to have that veteran presence to at least like lead a locker room. And I don't think Tyrod was that guy. I see Eli pulled up Fitzpatrick. Is he no sign? No, no, he he hasn't. Yeah. Fitzpatrick's available. We know he's someone that's been in the Texans organization. We know, we know he can work. He's that veteran presence that can come in, can help a lot of the young guys can even, can even help Watson with game preparation and how to go about game day stuff like that like he he definitely is someone that can come in and make a very notable difference what else is on you guys mind of course i've just been hot and bothered by the whole cleveland browns ordeal over the whole offseason seeing that offense get built up i mean the texans really i mean they worked they drafted piece by piece and, and in my opinion probably before the browns trade if you strip down the team there's a chance the texans had the most superstars in the nfl but especially when you start looking at the offense, that Browns trade kind of churns my stomach because, I mean, that th- those weapons are beyond comprehension. They have a better offensive line than us. And I think all that it's done, unfortunately, it, it's really kind of, it, it scared some life into me because I now realize that the Texans might not be as close as I thought they were, you know, maybe a few months ago. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm concerned about the Browns yet because they got a coach that's going to be in his first year with really not a lot of experience even as a coordinator. So I'm kind of curious as how how that's going to work out. Odell Beckham can explode a locker room as easily as he can make a huge play. So I'll be interested to see how him and Baker Mayfield, two pretty big personalities, get along and you know it it's you know it's going to be about uh whether they can uh figure out how to win because the browns you know they have a long history of not figuring out how to win so this year can they do it are people going to adjust to baker mayfield because you know that rookie season everything can go uh much better than uh a second year just because teams adjust they start looking at film we saw it with deshaun watson and the struggles that he had especially early in his sophomore season after you know, even only seven games, but teams had a chance to look at him and figure out what he was doing and uh, things changed. So, you know, that's, that, that should be interesting, but I just feel like the Texans have got to worry about the Texans. 
and and I'll and I'll continue to worry about the Patriots as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have a pulse. Okay, in terms of what we have as a roster, I think my my biggest problem is when we had Rick Smith, he definitely wasn't aggressive in free agency and he threw some bad money at some players like we saw with Osweiler. But one thing that we I know every fan took for granted is that he was very, very good with hitting on players in the first round. I think it was every first round pick we had from 2011 to last year was on the roster until Kevin Johnson got cut. Look, it's it's something that you would hope and you would think is basically a given, but it is it is a luxury to have basically every first round pick turn out and become a starter on the team. And we've had a very slow free agency and Gain didn't have a first round pick. So we don't know his history with draft picks, but he hit on Reedy hit on QT. Uh, Jordan Thomas was good for a sixth rounder. Edge of four was even good for a sixth rounder playing some snaps and making a bit of an impact, but it'll be really important after. And it's a little early to comment on the fact that it's a slow free agency because we're only two days in but it'll be really big to see what we do in the draft and how many starters we can end up with for at least the beginning of the season, because that's going to be really important to the Texans success because the roster may not be on par with what the Browns technically have on paper from what we've seen from the Pats and Chiefs. But come the draft and come week one, you don't really know what you have until you really get into the season. He's got a hit. He's got a hit on a couple of these picks. I mean, you can't have the Rick Smith total whiffs. And, you know, if you hit, you can't hit big. And if you do hit big, you're the Colts. And the Colts got, you know, two guys that not just Pro Bowl quality, but maybe all pro quality when they drafted Quentin Nelson last year and Darius Leonard and first and third round, the Texans not drafting as high as the Colts did, but it is possible to to hit big with those two t- two picks and you know you've got four picks and I'm I'm hoping at least 3 of them can be high quality and at least 2 of them need to start you know they need to find a starting cornerback i mean that's got you got to hit that and then maybe a starting tackle you know i you i i'm not again i am not panicking about tackle you know davenport i think can get better uh my, my worry is a little bit about the offensive line coaching because I I don't see a lot of progression with the offensive line and the coaching and guys making advancements. And maybe that's a talent thing, Uh, but Davenport should be able to take a big step forward. I don't think that's impossible. And then if Chantrell Henderson can just stay healthy for a year, it's crazy to say that, but Chantrell Henderson just stay healthy for a year. He looked good when he played, you know, he looked good in the preseason. He looked good in the first game until he got hurt he looked like he was somebody that was going to be a wall. He could push guys out of the way. Uh, he could do things in the in the running game to give you holes, which is a huge deal with uh, the Texans running backs kind of being uh, the type that need a hole. They they don't rely on breaking tackles. Maybe Deontay Foreman uh, will be back to uh, uh, Deontay Foreman of his Texas Longhorn days, and maybe he can do something like that. But if you get a tackle that can start uh, and maybe take Chantrell Henderson or Davenport spot, with a cornerback that's a, and both guys can start and not because they are going to have to, but because they earned a spot. And then all of a sudden uh, it's harder and harder to find the holes on the Texans squad. We don't really have running backs. You can just go and break tackles there. And yet we have a coach whose prototypical running back is exactly that straight running between the tackles, complementary offense. And, and it's not like Bill is secretive about it. It's very out in the open. So I guess my question to you is there's been a lot of uh, talk this offseason among Texans fans, analysts about whether it's Le'Veon Bell or now people are saying because they were in on Le'Veon Bell, it was a smokescreen to try and go for Tevin Coleman. Do you think something like that could benefit the Texans? And do you really think that it would be worth any added cost to Lamar? You know, they got to get a they got to get a running back this offseason. They, they need to take care of that. And, you know, Tevin Coleman, unfortunately, you know, he's with the Niners. So now he's off the board, uh, but just get another guy. That's a competent running back. They, they played two running backs the whole year. There was nobody else that took a snap for the Texans at running back. And, and what if you could just have another guy and you're not depending on Alfred blue, God forbid for another year to take a ton of snaps and you get a guy that might be a three down back. And when I say three down back, Lamar Miller, he's not a great blocker. 
Uh, Deontay Foreman is not a great pass blocker. They badly need a running back that can not just run the football, but can pass block. You know, they, they don't have somebody that can help Deshaun Watson. I mean, everybody, I mean, I, I just got sick of it. You know, I talked about it every week on, on, on the Locked On Texans podcast, and I'm going to continue to ride this, but I got sick and tired of people saying, oh, this offensive line, this offensive line, this offensive line. The tight ends and the running backs were atrocious blocking, and it's not just five offensive linemen. It's five offensive linemen working as one. A lot of it has to do with chemistry. The Patriots prove it every year. They're not running out all pro offensive linemen, and Brady never gets touched. And the other part about it is you got to get help from the other guys. And you know, and, and you got to get help from Deshaun too. He's got to get rid of the ball quicker. He's got to not think that I've got to make a huge 30 yard play down the field every time. Take that quick pass. And, you know, a big part of that would, ha- it would help a ton if Kiki QT was healthy this year, because when QT was on the field, he was that perfect outlet for Deshaun, but get, get a running back that can actually block for a change. I mean, I, I miss Arian Foster, not for his running as much, although that would be nice, especially on the goal line, but I miss him because he could block. Yeah, definitely. The, the offense is, a little different in the media from what it is if you watch every Texans game. And I actually wrote a bunch of pieces and I used to talk to Eli about it all the time about the fact that the O-line wasn't, they weren't good, but they weren't necessarily as bad as what everybody made them out to be. Everybody was like, Oh, Watson took 62 sacks. You can't have that going on every year. But Watson didn't have an off season to really work on his mechanics. And we saw a lot of what he used to do at Clemson with dropping his eyes scrambling out of the pocket when it it wasn't necessarily clear, but he definitely had a pocket to stand in and make a throw. And Texans fans are getting frustrated because we're not making moves on the O-line, but you need to have this development. You need to have this chemistry. You can't bring in uh, three, four new starters on the O-line every season and expect them to perform. So obviously Mark Ingram's gone off the market. Coleman's gone. Bell is gone. And it's a very deep draft at running back. It's probably looking like that's our, our best scenario to try find somebody to take a load off of Lamar Miller. And I think, look, we've seen in, in year after year, you could find a good running back late in the draft, but some O-linemen, some, some chemistry for them and some development together as a group with some, some growing with uh, Watson and some improvement in the pocket. I think it's going to help the running game a lot, and it's it's just going to help the offense as a whole. It's not necessarily improving the O-line as much as it is just a cohesive group of all positions working together. Well, and like, and like Robert mentioned, I think that we really need to take a much closer look at the Texans' offensive coaching staff, at the offensive line coaching staff, because it's something that a lot of, I'd say, really in-tune Texans fans have have brought up in the last few years because when you look at a lot of the best O-lines year over year in the NFL, Kansas City, New England, Pittsburgh, again, like you mentioned, there's people who can roll through those systems and yet they find a way to have everyone work together. They keep, obviously, they keep continuity through the years. It's, it's clear that there's a difference that can be made specifically by a coaching staff. And like you mentioned, I've seen no development almost at any time since Bill's staff has been in place. I mean, on that offensive line. And it's not to say that, you know, the offensive line underperforming is their fault entirely. And the offensive coaching staff aren't responsible for that entirely either. But I think it's something that not a lot of Texans fans really look at as a place of frustration, you know, maybe directing it towards Bill instead of, instead of there for the offensive line. But I really think that that's somewhere that is maybe a huge issue for the Texans. Mike Devlin got a ringing endorsement from Bill O'Brien going into the, I mean, he didn't mention anybody by name uh, on the coaching staff, except for Devlin, maybe Romeo and one or two other guys. But I mean, we're talking about mentioning him by name in a positive way, but you know, it's just, he likes him. He likes Mike Devlin and he thinks he's a good offensive line coach. Uh, you know, his history is uh, offensive line coach for the Toledo Rockets in 2004, 2005. He was a tight ends coach for the Jets uh, from 2006 to 2012. And then the Jets from uh, 2013, 14, that, that's when he was their O-line coach. And that's how he got the, the Texans job out of that. But, you, you know, I, I just I, I'm not sure 
what they're so excited about Mike Devlin for. I, I just haven't seen it with the development of the offensive line. And I don't know if it's as much technique. I just don't see them developing the chemistry. It's, it's the chicken or the egg theory, though. They never have the same group or anywhere close to the same group coming back from year to year on the offensive line. There's just been, it's been a rotating group. There, there's not been the same five guys that started one year to the next year. So, you know, is it because of that or is it because Devlin, you know, is not teaching him good communication techniques or working with each other on stuff? Because there are times, and you guys have seen it, where it's just there's a, a guard looks at a tackle to take a, a guy or they, 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 they get crossed up on a, on some sort of stunt or something. I mean, there's so many times where we've seen that uh, in the last couple of years and you go, well, whose fault is that? Is that just the offensive line guys or is somebody not, you know, trying to get them to communicate better? And I mean, that's the big issue I, to me is it, it's a lot of it just has to do with chemistry and, and figuring out, you know, who's supposed to do what. I mean, they don't have the biggest guys in the world. They don't have guys that can just knock guys, you know, off the ball. I think Davenport can do that. I think Martinez Rankin can do it. Uh, Maybe Zach Fulton can do it a little bit. And if Chantrell Henderson can stay healthy, he can. But Nick Martin's not going to do it. And Kelamete's not going to do it. Although he's, you know, he's bigger. He plays smaller than than I think his size. That's the thing with uh, Kelamete. But I mean, if when you look at the offensive line, it, it's it's about what's going on behind the scenes, and without you know me knowing, uh, it, it's real hard to it's hard to figure out what what the problem is. It's an interesting position to talk about for the Texans because we're gonna have the first year of a real group coming back together, but at the same time, Nick Martin was talked about in in an incredible light after his rookie season where he got injured and basically missed the whole thing. But we've seen no development from him since then. And Davenport wasn't necessarily a high draft pick, but there was pretty high expectations from him. We haven't seen very much from him. Henderson got hurt, so I can't comment about him, but he was also a very talented player, a very highly recruited player going into college. So we'll see what happens when we have Henderson there on the outside rather than Kendall Lamb. But with a cohesive group this year, it's going to be a really telling, well, the same as it's going to be for Bill O'Brien. It's a make or break season for him, for someone like Devlin, where you're going to have a real group coming back this year rather than last year where they're like, Nick Martin's coming back and we're replacing everyone else. It's going to be a a huge make or break season for the O-line. And I know we basically overthrew the O-line this year, but if we can't get, what we need out of the O-line, it might be time to start considering the fact that it's coaching and maybe not the the players that we actually have going out on the field. Guys, it's been a quick hour. Any last thing, any, anything you want to close with? Hopefully the next time we get on with you, there will be a lot more exciting Texans moves that have been made towards uh, maybe getting close to that Super Bowl. Can't wait to do this again, guys. Looking forward to it. I'm hoping in a few weeks, we're going to have a couple more, moves that they've made and maybe we'll have a better idea what what's coming up uh, in the draft what the, what they might be looking for but it I don't know it feels like it's pretty obvious we know they're going to be drafting corners they're going to be drafting offensive linemen maybe running back as well and you know I've still got my fingers crossed on another tight end but that would be three tight ends in two years so we'll see but uh, looking forward to do this again with you guys it's good to good to talk to you finally and uh, love to hear the Canadian love for the Texans <laughs> Absolutely. All day, every day. I dream about it every night. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.